Well, I've asked you several times over the last few weeks, and I'm just going to say today, well, are you or are you not Pentecostal? We've been defining it. We've been talking about it. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we'll be there in just a moment. We've discussed a lot about what it means to be Pentecostal, and and, uh, we've, we've discussed about what a lot of it isn't. We've seen people begin to be moved by their faith and and active. And last week we talked about how Pentecost invites persecution. The fact that not everybody's going to love this message that we carry, and not everybody's going to love the fact that we are impacting our culture. Not everybody's going to appreciate the fact that we're carrying this gospel message and impacting people's lives. There's going to be suffering for those who are following You say, why is that, Pastor? Because warfare is never without suffering, and spiritual warfare is no different. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that Pentecost demands integrity. Everybody say integrity. Don't you love it when people have integrity? (laughs) In everything we have talked about thus far, The fact that Pentecost is not just for church services, it's to go outside of these walls. It's about the harvest. If if we're going to lay hands on the sick and see them healed, if we're going to preach the Word, if we're going to speak for Jesus, if we're going to go out and encourage others and pray for others, then it demands our integrity. If you're willing to be used by God, if He sees fit to do these things through you, then it must be a life that is lived out in front of others. It, it can't be something that's just a momentary work of God that my life never adds up or lines up any differently. Far too many times men and women of God have been used by God and have let pride set in. Far too many times people of God have allowed the Spirit of God to move through them and they may prophesy, they may be able to speak in tongues or interpret, or they may be used in a community or pray for the sick and see them healed. But far too often times, folks, people take the gifts that God has given us and we allow that gift to separate us from others like it might be with our nicer home or a nicer car or nicer clothes. We begin to think because God has anointed us a certain way that we are better than other people. Instead of developing a greater humility, those that act in these things have a tendency to become with a more inflated ego. Too many times they've proclaimed themselves to be used in the miraculous only to be exposed later for sexual sin, misappropriation of funds, greed, idolatry of all kinds. It doesn't matter. We've seen it. We've heard it on the news many, many times, haven't we? Even in our own circles, we've heard of it way too many times. While I know and understand that no one is ever perfect, a person that does not manage their life, according to the Word of God, is a person that will bring shame to the gospel. Pentecost demands integrity. If we are going to proclaim Christ in this nation, if we're going to take Him to our homes and to our families, we have to remember that Pentecost and holiness go hand in hand. Don't you remember when we used to be called the Holy Rollers? I'm not real sure about the roller part, but the holy part is really important, isn't it? Our founders understood. They tried to teach holiness. They did the best they could. I think with the right intention and the right heart, maybe brought along some of the wrong things as far as legalistic rules. I I can appreciate somebody at least trying. Can I get an amen? 
Because the problem is, is that today's culture, it's flip-flopped. If you're Pentecostal, then you, you've, you've bought into this mentality of free grace, this, this uh, hyper-grace that says, I am under grace and I can do no wrong. And some have even gone as far as to say, I can't even sin. Folks, these people have claimed that they're under the grace of God and we are under the grace of God. And I don't want to minimize the grace of God, but it does not mean we turn around and we willfully and knowingly sin against God on a regular basis and proclaim that we still have freedom in Christ when we're living in bondage. We just talked at our prayer partner's prayer retreat about how the book of Judges says a couple of different places in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. And that line, that sentence would always uh, preclude the very thing, precede the very thing that followed was, was bondage and sin and people that were in bondage to other nations because they had not obeyed the word of God. They had ignored God's law. They had no king over them. And folks, we cannot live our lives without kingship in our lives. We cannot live our lives without authority because if we do, then we will end up doing whatever we see fit and whatever we see fit is going to be self-driven and fleshly and is going to cause us to miss out on God. Those who live this way fulfill what Jude said and spoke of in Jude 4, chapter 1, only one chapter, verse 4, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly sleep, slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign Lord. Why do you think this mentality about free grace and the fact that you can do no wrong and you can't sin and you can't do this, you can't do that, why do you think that's so popular in our culture today? Well, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul warns Timothy of this day, verses 1 through 5, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. Why is it in these last days that this message of, of, of free grace and the fact that you can do no wrong and you just can't sin and, and God's just surrounded you and oh, it's just wonderful, love you and all your little sinful habits and things. You're fine, don't worry about it. Why is it in these last days that this is such a positive in, 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 in gospel that is spreading across our nation? Because people are lovers of themselves. They want a gospel that says, I don't have to change who I am. That I can live however I want to live. They want to believe that it's okay for me to love my money because that's separate from God. In other words, I can lie and steal and cheat to get as much money as I want, but it's okay. Some preacher told me I prayed a prayer once or I got baptized one time or I got this and you're saved and you can do no wrong from here on out. You just live however you want to live. That's a lie from the pit of hell. People think it's okay to be ungrateful and unholy and without love for others and disobedience to their parents and, and, and all of these different things and unforgiving and say, it doesn't matter about me. I don't really care what the Word of God says. I'm going to do what I want because I live under grace and God's so gracious and kind and I can just be sinful and, and God's grace is going to be there for me. Listen, folks, if that's how it was going to be from the beginning, why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did you need to even be saved to begin with? He loved you that much before you should. You just had grace then. You know what? Let's just throw out 
All of it. Well, it's ridiculous. You know it's ridiculous. It's not true. And the fact of the matter is this, that God's grace is sufficient for us, but it does not and will not and will never give us a license just to continue to live in sin. I don't see it anywhere in the Word of God. If we try to live this way, if we say we're Pentecostal, if we say we're Pentecostal and we believe that God will put the gifts of the Spirit in our lives and we believe that God will use us to do great things and to heal bodies and to cast out demons and to speak His Word prophetically, if we believe that and yet we live our life in constant disobedience, what's going to happen someday is we're going to stand before Him and say, but Lord, Lord, don't you remember that time? Don't you remember, Lord, I prophesied in Your name. But Lord, I did. we spoke tongues and interpretation in Your name, God. But Lord, we laid hands on the sick and they were healed. Don't you remember, Lord? We prophesied in Your name. And He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. You see, those are Pentecostal things that we see in Matthew chapter 7. When you read through that and you look at that, I know it's talking about false prophets, but it's the same thing. Don't live a false conversion, my friend. Don't say that you're Pentecostal, you love the lost, and then you live however you want to live. Pentecost demands integrity. It demands it. There's no question. Let's get into our text, Acts chapter 4. God demanded integrity in the early church. Acts 4, verses, beginning verses 32 through 37. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The effect of being Pentecostal is the needs were being met. People were so consumed, just like this interpretation this morning about going out and, and, and taking captive this land with the gospel. They were so consumed with it, folks, they no longer cared about their homes or their properties. They said, you know what? These things are worthless for my comfort. And I'm going to sell them and make sure that the needs of people are met. Why should I live in excess when other people are living in need? That's how they lived. They figured that out. And they looked at all these things. And they began to sell their properties and take them in. Now, this one, Joseph of Cyprus, was a gifted encourager. So much that they called him a son of encouragement. And while he did this... He, he loved God, he had a pure heart, and he wanted to come and honor God, and so he did, and he sold his property, and he brought his property in so that others would be blessed by him. His purpose was not self-exalting, his purpose was genuine and pure, otherwise he wouldn't be called son of encouragement. Now I've been called other things similar, but it wasn't encouragement. But this guy was legitimate, he was real. He was loving, he was kind, and he said, I just want to give. And unfortunately, when people recognize the fact that somebody receives a little honor for something that they have done, it causes envy, and it stirs a competitive spirit in our flesh, and it manifests in manipulation and self-promotion. Let's read on, Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it, on the, put it at the apostles' feet. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart with that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, man, they were doing some business. You bury people without even telling the wife. That's doing work right there. We got to get him in the ground. Let's go. Plant him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price and you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This couple saw what Barnabas did, and they saw a great opportunity. They wanted to be somebody. They wanted to be somebody special. And so they were so full of themselves that they lied. Now they could have sold that land, and they could have given half of it, they could have given a third of it, they could have given a tenth of it, or they could have given none of it. There was no law, there was no requirement that they had to do it. But the fact is, is that they kept some back for themselves and said, we're going to give for ourselves some personal provision. And if we lie about it and tell them that we're giving it all away, we're going to find out that we can get us some community and social provision as well. Maybe we'll get bumped up. Maybe we'll be given a new name. Maybe we'll be honored before the people. God instead made an example that he was not going to put up with the church being contaminated as the priesthood had been. You see, prior to this, the priesthood, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these people were people that were called hypocrites. They were called whitewashed tombs. They were beautiful on the outside and they had dead, uh, full of dead men's bones internally. They looked the part on the outside, but internally they did not do the part. And they were full of manipulation. They were full of self-exaltation. They were full of egos. Remember how they lived? If they were to give their alms, they would do it publicly so everybody could see how generous they were. When they would pray, they would only do it publicly so everybody could see how holy they were. Their mentality was public and in, 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 in always trying to please people so that they could be self-exalted. They loved to go out in all of their phylacteries and all their beautiful robes so that people would look at them. They loved to have the seats of honor at the table when they would go to a dinner. They wanted the seats of honor. Listen, that mentality right there, God said, I ain't doing it no more. I'm done with it. If you are going to be saved and you're going to have the fullness of the presence of God in your life, you will live with integrity. We're not going to lie anymore. We're not going to play the games. We're not going to cheat and self-exalt people. The purpose is, is that Jesus established His kingdom through humility. And these people were not going to come in. He wanted, a, he wanted a church that was going to be as holy as He is. And He wanted one that was going to be sincere in her love for God and people. A church that is humble, that does not seek out a self-exaltation, but is concerned with the plan and will of God alone. And He established this by not only taking the one that brought the money in, but also by the one that, that, uh, that, that conspired with Him. Conspired. 
You know what? That made me think of that song when I was in children's church years ago when I was a little bitty kid. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power and did not fear and try to get the Holy Spirit prophesied and they both dropped dead. God loves a cheerful giver. Give them all you've got. He loves to see you laughing when you're in an awful spot. So when the odds are up against you and you cannot do a thing, praise God. To praise Him is a joyous thing. And then we'd go faster. Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you out there is going, you know, I just want to say right now, that's not the best offering song in the world. <laughs> How would you like next week? Pastor Bob's going to sing special. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat. Everybody's going. Pentecost should never tolerate pretenders for selfish gain. And unfortunately, in our commercialized Christian society today, we are setting a platform, an invitation, when we see one person get great in this commercialized Christian culture that we have, then everybody else comes along and says, well, I would love to have that same platform. And it doesn't matter whether it's music, just because it has a Christian label on it does not mean that the people that are playing it and singing it are living out in integrity. And I'm not just talking about rap music, and I'm not just talking about rock music. Yes, even Southern Gospel. All of them. Every single one of them. It's an opportunity and an avenue where I can build me up and become famous. Yes, I know there are some that are as genuine as can be. But there's also others. And just because it says it's a Christian book by a Christian publishing company does not guarantee that the contents inside of it were written by a person that's sold out and humble to God. Just because it's these things, just because somebody is a speaker, a great evangelist, or somebody that travels or is on television, does not mean that they're living their lives in integrity. I've seen them before. I've experienced firsthand evangelists that come across my path, and I said, what in the world is this person doing? One of them in particular, every time I would go up to speak to him, he would see me and turn and go the other way. Listen, folks, this Christian faith, this Christian culture we have today was not established by God to make people famous. It was established by God to spread the gospel. I want to talk to you about four areas that we need to be good stewards of the gospel in. And the first one is, is that we need to protect the gospel by living with spiritual integrity. Protect the gospel by living with spiritual integrity. We've got to obey God's laws, church. If the Bible says it, it needs to be true and it's got to be good enough and we need to live it out. Listen, just because you have a great anointing, just because God's called you, doesn't guarantee that it's going to be effective if your life is not lived out in obedience to God. You can right now say that you're an anointed evangelist and just jump and shout and yell and scream on a stage, but if you go back and you, once you're off that stage, you live your life in disobedience to God, it is not going to leave lasting fruit that's going to be positive for the kingdom of God. I know this is basic, but I, I think of Samson. What a great guy Samson was, called of God and, and spoken of before he was born, anointed by God, set apart as a Nazarite, called... He was going to to be the one that was going to free Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. The Philistines, the very name meaning that these were people that were, uh, they were, they were, um, 
Worldly, basically. I can't remember all the words for it. But basically, they were worldly, and they were full of themselves. They were self-exalted, self-seekers, selfish. And this one that was supposed to free Israel from the bondage of them was full of himself. And he didn't control himself. And he wouldn't listen to his parents. He wouldn't listen to wise counsel. He wouldn't realize and and listen to the fact that he wasn't supposed to intermarry from women from the Philistines, and he wanted to. He liked to go and see prostitutes. And then ultimately, he, he, he didn't guard what it was that God placed in him, and he lost the Spirit from him. He was found walking in vineyards when he's, as a Nazarite, not even supposed to touch a grape. This man, Samson, had no integrity. Yeah, he did some great things for God. But then one day he jumped up and he shook himself as he had before, not realizing the Spirit had departed from him. The Philistines were upon him. He was taken. His eyes were gouged out. Yes, he killed more in his death than he did in his life. But folks, the point is, is what would have happened if he would have lived with, him, with some integrity? What would have been the difference? What would have been the difference for somebody like King Saul, who when he was called was very humble and very submitted to God and was hiding when they had to drag him out and make him take over the kingship? He's the one that that, uh, God had anointed for this very thing and he had some great victories and did some wonderful things for God, but then pride set in and he began to exalt himself and he was more concerned about his status than he was about obeying God and ultimately God removed his spirit from him. And when Saul had been confronted by Samuel, he said, please just go out and honor me before the people. He wasn't worried about what God had told him or what, how he had dishonored God. He just wanted to be honored in front of the people. Let him into bondage. What about Solomon who asked, for, who asked for great wisdom from God? And God gave him great wisdom and he had that wisdom. And because he had that wisdom, and I know that he had that wisdom, that means he knew the law. He knew what the law said according to a king and a wife that he should only have one. And we know that uh, what the Bible said about intermarrying was with, with the foreign women and all of these things. And yet Solomon decided to bend that one a little bit. 700 and some, what is it, 700 and some concubine. Okay, a few too many women. Two or three hundred too many. And they led him away to worship idols. No integrity. No integrity. The wisest king that ever lived on the earth No integrity. You see, folks, we could go through example after example, but what I do not find in the New Testament following the day of Pentecost, I don't see the apostles rising up and becoming full of themselves. I don't see the apostles rising up and and, 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 and frequenting prostitutes. There's a difference. Pentecost happened. The Spirit of God is in these men. And they were more concerned about the harvest. The harvest was of too great of importance for me to compromise it with my lack of integrity. You see, Pentecost demands integrity. Pentecost in its root form demands that the people of God walk in obedience to God. We must be careful not to take the Lord's name in vain. We should not take His name upon ourselves calling ourselves His ambassadors if we aren't going to live out His nature as we obey His laws. This is called hypocrisy, and it's, all, it's called sin, something the priesthood was ate up with and something the church was void of. Secondly, we need to protect the gospel by having integrity in our relationships. 
We need to protect the gospel by having integrity in our relationships. Galatians chapter 2, you follow on the screen, you'll see it there. Verses 11 through 14 says, When Peter came to Antioch, Paul wrote this, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so, they, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now this is an example of how Peter had a momentary lapse of reason. He got thrown into an uncomfortable situation. He was trapped between his Jewish friends and the Gentiles that they had reached out to. And he's going, well, I'm going to live like the Gentiles while the Gentiles are here. But then when the Jews are here, I'm going to live like a Jew. And he was kind of caught in this place and innocently drug into a moment of hypocrisy. He was living two different ways. And I know it may be hard at times, but the standards of God do not shift and change more for those we are close to versus those we do not know. If we aren't careful, we can have a tendency to show greater mercy for one group of people over another. And the problem in doing this is we create a double standard and we become sinful in doing it. In James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he writes, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Following the day of Pentecost church, things changed. Favoritism was gone. Prior to the day of Pentecost, there was a lot of favoritism. Prior to the day of Pentecost, a Jew looked down on a Gentile as a worthless dog. And the Gentiles looked at the Jews as as self-righteous scumbags. There was nothing but division lines between and favoritism all the way around. But when Jesus Christ came on the scene, went to the cross, and died and rose again and filled His followers with, with the Holy Spirit... He sits down with Peter and gives Peter a vision. He says, don't you dare call something unclean that I've made clean. And began to prepare him. And he said, go to the Gentiles. And he went to Cornelius' house. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. These things take place, folks. When we start looking at Pentecost, and you see when Peter gets up and he he makes a reference to Joel's prophecy, favoritism is gone. It it no longer separates the young from the old or or, 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 our men from our women or anything else. It's no longer racial. It's no longer gender related or anything else. All of those are broke down. And folks, if we are going to be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must be exactly like Peter and receive the instruction that there is no favoritism in the kingdom of God. I don't care how wealthy they are. I don't care how poor they are. I don't care what their skin color is. I don't care what their gender is. There is no favoritism. The gospel message is the same for everybody, period. And all will be treated on equal level because all have the same value, the same price, the blood of Jesus shed for them. That's the call of the gospel. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't have that love for people and you show favoritism, you treat some better than others, you're rude to others because they're not good enough or they don't have the nicest things or anything else, you'd mistreat them because of that, then what you've done is you've set up hypocrisy in your life and you have limited and shut the door upon any ministry that God would use you in. We must not have favoritism and we must not be 
compromising to try to gain influence for favoritism's sake. Another example of that, we never saw the apostles ever trying to gain or weasel their way into the, the care and love of some kind of a leader in their day. They just spoke the truth. Acts 24, beginning in verse 24, we see Paul in this situation with the uh, proconsul of Felix. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. Could you really take anybody serious that was a leader named Felix? I would always think he was a cat. What's up, cat? What's up, dog? I mean, cat. Felix. Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. Would you serve somebody named Festus too? (laughs) He drives a Porsche. It's a Porsche. Well, he's Festus. You know the one that drives the Porsche? Porsche's Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now let's look at this, and we're going to evaluate how government operates. I'm just going to be honest with you folks. Government operated back then that way, and it operates this way today. I'll listen to you, and I'll give you an ear as long as you're going to give me a bribe. And I'll give you the, if you give me the bribe, that's fine. But when I get done with it, if you don't give me a bribe, I'll do a favor for the very people that oppose you. Do you see it? It's right there. For two years, he waited for a bribe. But look at Paul's behavior. Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and judgment. He didn't change. He didn't manipulate the relationship. He didn't try to gain or weasel his way into the care of Felix or anybody else so that he could be given some kind of a grant or, 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 or his hand placed over a blessing. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter what you are doing. You cannot buy your way anywhere. You, if you are Pentecostal, you carry the gospel, period. You carry the gospel. And it may leave you in prison and it may cause people to do favors for other people, but do not... Do not do damage or shame to the gospel by giving bribes or anything else or mistreating people or compromising your standards. Thirdly, protect the gospel with financial integrity. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip ministers in a city in Samaria and there's a huge harvest of souls, one of which was named Simon, a sorcerer. Simon had kept these people under his... His, uh, his, his sway for many years. And Simon got saved. Simon got water baptized. And he followed Philip around while Philip laid hands on sick people and saw them made well. Now that's a good show. I would tune into that. Wouldn't you? Simon followed him around and said, this is awesome. And as he watched them, he was fine until Peter and John came in town. And Peter and John were brought in town because they would lay hands on those that were saved and they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Simon watched them for a little bit, and he was amazed. Let's pick that up in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 24. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, 
He offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me that that nothing you have said may happen to me. The apostles showed financial integrity. It was taught to them by Jesus when he was asked, should we pay our taxes? And Jesus said, you render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but unto God what belongs to God. And right now, folks, he's looking at these people and they're looking at them and saying, listen, Simon, your money will perish with you. Because he tried to take that which was Caesar's and to purchase that which is God's. And I'm afraid to say, folks, today in Pentecostal circles, in our culture today, that that, that Caesar's money is way more important than the things of God. People are preaching it. They stand up front, preachers in the pulpit, and people running up and shoving money in his pockets. I thought if I paused long enough, maybe somebody would run up and start shoving 20s in. We do damage to the gospel when we are more worried about attaining and accumulating what belongs to Caesar than what belongs to God. We do damage to the gospel, and many have done damage. And the church cannot be controlled by the God of money either. Let me just say, there are too many churches today that are afraid to look at a Simon the Sorcerer and sorcery and witchcraft in its very sense is the manipulation of others by trickery or bribes. And the fact that this man is stepping up here and saying, listen, if I can purchase that, there are too many people in churches today and pastors that won't have the faith in God or the guts enough when somebody tries to control and manipulate the church with finances to say, you know what? Take your money and let it perish with you. You're full of bitterness, you're full of pride, and you have no part in this ministry. But too many are afraid because, Pastor, how are we going to be able to pay the bills? Have a little bit of faith in God and live with some integrity and see what God does in your church. But folks, you and I are no different. If you're not paying your bills, you're not dealing with financial integrity in your life, don't you dare go preaching to other people because they're going to find out you're not paying your bills. If you're deep in debt and and, and not willing to pay your bills and not willing to work, do anything else, listen, don't go out and start preaching to people because you're only going to bring shame to the gospel. Integrity. It demands it. And you can't have buyouts and you can't sell out or anything else for anything else. The money that drives our culture is going to perish with our culture. So do not become overly attached to it. It's going to leave. It's all going to burn up. And I don't want to be found hanging into wads of money And burning with it. Integrity, folks. Lastly, protect the gospel with humility. In Acts 14, we see where Paul healed a man in Lystra that had been crippled and had never walked. Verses 11 through 15, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because... He was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he had the, cr- the crowd wanted, he and the crowd, excuse me, wanted to offer sacrifices to them. 
But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. When we see ministers today teetering toward a godlike status, I get nervous. When they have entourages and come and go as they please, I had a friend that went to Africa on a missions trip and, and uh, the people were excited because he was so humble. They said, usually when these big name preachers come in here, they have to have the nicest motel room, all the best food, and all the like, limousine services to and from the, show, the concerts, I mean, I'm sorry, services, and uh, no, that wasn't a slip up. And they were blown away because in the country that they were at, it took everything they had just to get them there to come in. And they had to have the best of everything. Going to preach to people that have nothing. They had exalted themselves to a place where there was no humility and I have to have the best. Folks, I understand God can bless people and I'm not against people being financially sound. God knows we need people that are givers that are financially sound. I have no problem with that. My problem is is when we elevate our ego to the place to where we think we are so much better than everybody else that everybody else should bow down to us and do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. These, this opportunity right here, can you imagine? These individuals could have exalted themselves to a king-like status like God himself. They were ready to sacrifice to them. They would not let them sacrifice to me. I am a man. And turn them toward Jesus. They had integrity in their humility and was not self-exalted in any fashion. Folks, if you're going to serve and you're going to, you're going to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, you better be humble. Because you do two or three, two or three things that, that impact people's lives, they're going to follow you, and if you're not careful, they'll worship you. Stay humble. You're only a man, you're only a woman, and you only love Jesus, and you only want them to know Him too. It's that simple. But our culture today, the way it's set up as Devin comes, our culture today, today is set up because people want other people to see them and to follow them and to look up to them and, and to honor them and all those things. And, and listen, this ministry, this gospel is not about trying to receive honor from man. It's about honoring God and speaking His truth. And whether they listen or they don't listen, that's not our fault. That's not our problem. We just need to make sure that they know a prophet was among them by the time it's over with. And not a prophet that's exalted, not a prophet that's got an ego the size of this room, Somebody that's humble, that's like Jesus was. And somebody that loves them enough to speak the truth into their life. That's humility. And God will honor that. So why is integrity so important? Last verse, Romans 13, 12 through 14. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So 
spiritual integrity through the obedience of the word, integrity in our relationships, financial integrity, integrity in our humility. Folks, if you're full of yourself and full of pride, I don't care how many anointings God has placed on you or callings or anything else. If you are full of yourself, it's not going to happen. All of these things. Why is it so important? Because the day is near. Put off the deeds of darkness. Live with integrity. Obey this Pentecostal call about the harvest. Clothe yourself. This is my prayer for you this morning. I'm going to pray over you and we're going to dismiss. But my prayer for you this morning is that you would be clothed with Christ. So much that you won't even think of the desires of your flesh. Do not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Live with integrity. And how do we do that? We put on Christ. It's very simple. We are clothed with Christ. So that His call, His mission, His plan, everything is the center of our being. And we walk in that and allow lives to be changed through our lives. It's very simple. It's not rocket science. And here's the thing. You know the areas of of, of lack in your life. You know the areas of compromise. You know where there's a lack of integrity in your life. You don't need an altar call. You just simply need to humble yourself before God and begin to obey the prodding of the Spirit in your heart. Amen? It's very simple. If we're going to be Pentecostal, we've had services up here. We laid hands on people to be healed. We've had good times up here around these altars. But today I'm dealing with you personally that says, you already know what you need to do. (laughs) Obey the Lord. Don't be afraid to talk with me. You want somebody to pray with you or hold you accountable? We'll hold you accountable. We'll pray with you. But ultimately it lays in your lap. Father, I come to you right now and I just pray over this body of believers, this great group of people in this room, Lord, friends and family. They're all precious to me, Lord, and I know they're precious to you and I love them dearly. But God, each one of us, myself included, have got areas of integrity that we need to work upon. And Lord, we just simply surrender those things to you right now. Father, even in their minds right now as they say them to you, They know what those areas are because you've prodded their hearts. They've been uncomfortable at times. It's stressed them out at times. It's frustrated them at times. But God, today is the day that we lay them at your feet. And today is the day that we obey even when it's hard. Even when our flesh says no, we obey. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower them to do it. You would empower myself to do it as well. And that we would be a people that live with integrity. We would be a church, God, that doesn't just speak in tongues, Pentecostal. But we're a church, Father, that is is ready to go out to the harvest. We're a church, God, that believes in miraculous things to take place when you intertwine your spirit with man. We're a church, God, that understands that even if we're persecuted, if others laugh at us, make fun of us, even if it's the cost of shedding our blood for the gospel, we will preach it. But Lord, help us not to bring shame to it because we lack integrity. Help us, Lord, not to pursue some avenue of glory like Ananias and Sapphira did. Help us, Lord, not to mess up our, our, our uh, spiritual walk with you like Samson and and Saul and Solomon did. Father, I pray 
that you would help us in our relationships, that we would treat each other equal. We would not show favoritism, not compromising the gospel for anyone, but speaking truth. And Father, I pray that we would not be controlled by money or anything materialistic in this world, but that we would walk in holiness, God, that we would not create a a roadblock. And Father, that we would be humble. Help us to walk in humility today and every day so that you would be exalted and glorified. It's our prayer, Father. We know that by your Spirit you will do these things in us and we receive it today with joy just as we received this word with joy today. We glorify you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.